Thank you for taking time to listen to this message from New Life United Methodist Church. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. We invite you to join us for worship each Saturday evening beginning at 5.30. New Life is located at 8301 Mitchell Road in McChesney Park, Illinois. For information on New Life or our ministries, go to findnewlifeumc.org. You can also send financial contributions to New Life UMC, P.O. Box 2034, Loves Park, Illinois, 61030. To honor copyright laws, some audio portions may have been removed. Again, thank you for listening. Let us pray. Lord, we invite you into this place and time we've gathered together. We ask that you come into our midst. Help us encounter you. Help us be transformed by you and moved into our daily lives as your followers, followers of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today comes from uh, Luke chapter 24. It is a longer reading. But I encourage you to focus, take a deep breath, and hear these words and this wonderful story after the resurrection. Chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about? They stopped, their faces downcast. One named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that is unaware of the things that have taken place here over the last few days? He said to them, what things? They said the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the peoples as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. All these things happened just three days ago. But there's more. Some woman from our group had left us stunned. They went to his tomb early this morning. And they found no body. They came to us saying that they had even seen a vision of angels that told them that he is alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women said. But they did not see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people! Your dull minds have kept you from believing all that the prophets have talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then to enter his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all of Scripture, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going ahead. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened. 
They recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us all along the road and when he explained scripture for us? They got up right then, they returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They went saying to each other, the Lord really has risen, he's appeared to Simon. Then those two disciples described what happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as he broke bread. So ask that the Lord bless that reading, that powerful story of the road to Emmaus. Now I'm not sure when in the course of Christian history, I think it was well, belong, well before my time, that we entered this era called the worship wars. I don't know when it started, but it's been a while now. But I never really was immersed in it because I, I just went to the church that I went to and, and we didn't have a worship war. It's hard to have a war among yourselves. Uh, and if you do, there's probably, usually it's around other things. But as I became a pastor and as I became more interested in what other churches were doing and traveled the nation and Jennifer and I went to learn um, from great teachers all across this nation, I began to be uh, immersed in this thing about worship and this thing called the worship war. And unfortunately, along the way, I found that the majority of worship war is not really about how should we worship in 2015. It's really about, well, this is the way I like to worship, so we should worship like that. And often it's about music. And it's not just about contemporary or traditional. I've come across many encounters over the last few weeks and months of people from various churches really holding on to and almost idolizing whatever form of music is available in their worship experience. But we talked about how worship is much more than that. We talked about how worship is where we come together to have God encounter us. We are encountering God through the things that we do in worship, specifically the means of grace instituted by Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And when we think about, well, I have to worship singing this music, or I have to worship in a certain place. Some people won't come here because we worship in a gym, right? Some people like traditional sanctuaries. Some people like amphitheater-style sanctuaries. Some people like deep and long sanctuaries. Some people like theaters, right? Shouldn't matter. She, Jesus, I, I'm not going to comment on that one way or the other, but I, I think Jesus probably likes basketball, yeah. But we need to ask, as individual, as congregations, we need to stop and ask, how would God want me? How would God want us to worship? And I think, thankfully, God has included some tips about what worship is over the years. Not only in Scripture, but in the history of the church. Now, Jesus did, we always start with Jesus, Jesus did two things more than any other thing in Scripture. Recorded. He taught the scripture and he ate. It is recorded more than any other thing that Jesus did. He taught the scripture and he ate. I don't think there's ever once Jesus talking about the kind of pews that he liked or seats or the style of music that he enjoyed. He taught scripture. 
and he ate. It's funny because you would think that that wouldn't be mentioned. There are so many things in Scripture that we do every day, right? That are not mentioned that Jesus ever does. But specifically, time and time again, he ate and he teaches. He read from the Bible and he interpreted the Bible. He gathered around table and he broke bread. And he did that with a lot of different types of people, right? He did that with religious folks. He did that with heretics. He did that with sinners. He did that with saints. He did it with all kinds of different kinds of people. At the Last Supper, he instituted what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. Years later, we've canonized these stories about Jesus and then early letters about the church, and we have what we call the Bible. But we even go back to the history of the church well before churches actually existed. There wasn't Christian churches like cathedrals well until about 325. Because around 325 AD is when Constantine, the Roman Empire, made Christianity legal. And so before then, Christians had to meet in their houses in secret, in private, because it was illegal for them to worship publicly. That's why Christmas is around winter. That's why Easter is around spring. Because Christians could worship openly because there were Roman and Greek festivals going on around the same time. And Christians met in their homes, and this is what worship looked like. And we have, we have a historical proof about this. Going back to 150. Going back to 150 A.D., Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, writes that this is what worship looked like. They gathered around a table in a home. They read from the teachings of the apostles. They talked about those teachings, and then they broke bread together, and they ate. And that was the basic pattern of worship for hundreds and hundreds of years. People got together, they talked about what Jesus had taught them, and then they ate together. That was the basic pattern of worship. Last week we talked about liturgy, which means the work of the people. And this ancient and authentic form of worship, which we call word and table, reading from the Bible, interpreting it, gathering around the table and breaking bread, word and table, this establishes a wonderful universal liturgy. You know, Jesus Christ, and I've been thinking about this a lot recently, Jesus Christ prayed for us as a church before he died. It's a beautiful prayer found in uh, John chapter 17 about. And the, the major theme of that prayer is, Lord, make them one like we are one. And this universal liturgy, word and table, is one way that even being different denominations, even being different people of different creeds, even being people who believe different things and different spectrums of political and social ideas and ideologies, we can be one by word and table. And strangely, ironically, there are many, many churches that have removed word and or table from their work, their liturgy. But I believe this is at the heart of worship. Word, this, is a symbol of the word. And table, that's a table. So I hope you understand it's a symbol of a table. Pretty straightforward. 
But not too long into Christian history, around the 4th century, we got to build churches. That was exciting. Constantine's mother even, the emperor's mom, she was a Christian. She went out and she started building cathedrals. And she built one where Jesus was born and one where Jesus was crucified and one where Jesus had his bar mitzvah. I don't, I don't know. But there was a lot of different, right? He, he had a bar mitzvah, don't you think? We can talk about that later. And so churches began to get built and we began to be able to worship in public. And so our liturgy, our work, got a little bit more complex. And so we developed this basic pattern of worship, which has been passed down for centuries. And it is based around word and table, but it is expanded and it is the basic order that we have been following here these last couple weeks. And it is this, gathering, word, response, table, sending. It is a five-piece movement. It is a pattern of five pieces. We are called out and gathered together at the invitation and by the grace of God, that's gathering. The Word of God is proclaimed as Scripture is read and interpreted. That's Word. We respond to this proclamation with acts of commitment, discipleship, and prayer. That's response. In thanksgiving and communion... We gather around the table, not only offering the gifts of today, but also understanding God's redemptive work in creation, incarnation, and inspiration. It's made presence, made present to us in the sharing of bread and wine. <clears throat> and finally, we are sent forth in the name and the power of the triune God in ministry as the body of Christ for our world, giving ourselves for others in justice, mercy, and love. Gathering word, response, table, sending. That is the basic pattern of worship. The question you might have for yourself and for me is who decided that was the basic pattern of worship and why should we listen to them? Well, the answer is in the reading of Scripture that I just gave you today. And I read it in its entirety because it is present in its entirety. Jesus, after his resurrection, came to his disciples and showed them how to worship. The story of the road to Emmaus, many of you have been on the walk to Emmaus, although I bet you've never heard of this story in this context. The story of the road to Emmaus is a story of Christ establishing what worship should look like. And I will explain what that looks like. On the same day, two disciples were traveling together to a village called Emmaus. I'm reading from the Scripture. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened while they were discussing these things. Jesus Himself arrived and joined them on the journey. Do you hear what happened? A couple disciples got together. Was it Sunday morning? Was it... Saturday night, they got together. They were not in church. They were not at the synagogue. They were not at the temple. They were on a road and they were walking. They gathered together and what happened? Jesus showed up, right? When we gather together in worship, God becomes present. We encounter God. That's why we get together. Jesus is teaching us when you get together, I will be there. I'll show up. We gather together. That's why we gather together. We do it today. We do it every day. 
Then he interpreted for them all the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses, going on through the prophets. Just wanted to stop and let that set in a second. So Jesus is teaching them. He reads scripture, although he doesn't have to read it because he knows it all by memory. And that's not just a thing Jesus knew how to do. A lot of Jewish people knew how to just, just read by memory all of scripture. They didn't have books as easy as we did, and it's hard to carry around all those scrolls. If you've ever seen one, they're, they're pretty big. <clears throat> and so Jesus, he, he tells them Scripture, and then he interprets it from Moses, which is the books of Moses, which is the law, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. Excuse my pronunciation of Leviticus. To the prophets, which is all those other books of guys whose names you can't pronounce at the end of the Old Testament. So I I just want to affirm that this is like the longest sermon that's ever happened in the history of all time. He he interpreted all of the Old Testament for these two guys while they were walking. Okay, I'm not doing that for you today. You're welcome. I've spread it out over a few weeks. But you hear, that's what he did. He read the word and then he interpreted it for them. Because they knew it. They knew what Isaiah said. They knew what Jeremiah said. They knew what Moses said. But they didn't understand what they were saying about Jesus and what Jesus had said about them. So he interprets it and they talk about it together. They gather, they experience the word. Now response, okay, I I might be stretching it here, but I think there is a response. After Jesus is done teaching, the Bible says, it looks like he was going home. But the disciples urged him to stay. They had just experienced this wonderful teaching from God incarnate, resurrected Jesus Christ. And they said, because they didn't know how else to say it, please stay. We need some more of this stuff. And so that's their response. They didn't sit down and pray and they didn't collect an offering. It would have been great if they did for personal reasons, but, but they responded, right? They responded to that good news. And so what do they do after they respond? They gathered around a table. Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And in that moment, their eyes were opened and they saw him for who he was. Then he disappeared. And so what's their response to that? Then they got up and they went back to Jerusalem and they told everybody what happened. Jesus didn't stand up and say after they you know, had communion, he didn't stand up and say, well, go out into the world and you know, love each other and that kind of stuff. They just did it. You know? They had the Holy Spirit in them. They went and said, okay, let's go tell everybody about what happened. So here in the Road to Emmaus story, a story some of you are very familiar with, we see the basic pattern of worship. Gathering, word, response, table, sending. Everything else is icing on the cake. Everything else is an expression of those five things. Everything else is an expression of that pattern. It can change, it can be morphed, but when we fail to recognize how Jesus wants us to worship, how God wants us to worship, it becomes our worship and not God's worship. When we mess with things to a point where we start to lose the identity of this universal liturgy, we start to miss out on experiencing God how we could truly 
experiencing God. I've spent three weeks on worship because I want us to understand no matter what worship looks like, that worship truly matters. It is a mirror for the rest of our work. It is a mirror to the rest of our life as Christians. We need to gather together. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday, we need to gather together, brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we do, whether it's for coffee or fellowship, whether it's for Bible study, whether it's for food, whether it's for what work in, in the world, service, Jesus Christ is present. We need to read the Bible. It's not an option. We need to read the Bible. I, I, I despise being on Facebook because so many people throw out Scriptures with no context whatsoever. They just throw out whatever they can get a hold on, whatever somebody told them. You have to read the Bible. And then you have to talk about it with one another. Right? Don't just read it in a closet and then decide what you think it says. You need to talk to your brothers and sisters about it. Hey, I read this today. What do you think? I think it says this. What do you think? I'm hearing God say this for my life. What do you think? We need to be in that kind of covenant relationship because in isolation, the Bible is a scary and powerful tool for not good, for evil. It's been used to oppress and to murder and to destroy not only individuals, but nations. Because when it's misused, the power can be used for very, very bad things. So we do it in community as Jesus taught us. So that we do not let that evil consume us and let it be used out in our world. We gather together with the presence of Jesus Christ, the presence of God incarnate, peace, hope, love, and faith, so that we can use that message to better our world. Then we gather around the table. Not just here on Saturday night. It is, it is a travesty. It is heretical. I, I, I've just, I have no patience for it anymore. The fact that our churches have gone down to once a month communion. The fact that our mega churches may do it four times a year. The fact that not every time we meet, we celebrate communion. I'm going to push not only for us to do it every week, but to do it every time we gather together, every meeting, every small group as often as possible. The founder of our movement, we should have known this, the founder of our movement started Methodism because the Anglican church only was doing communion twice a year. He was fed up with it. He said, how can we participate in worship when we're not even worshiping? How can we participate in worship when we are not gathered around the table? Jesus Christ laid the foundation, gathering, word response, table sending. And we just decide, well, we don't need table. And well, we don't need to gather. We, well, we don't need to hear the Word of God. Yes, thank you, Pat. But we need to be around the table. John Wesley said, as often as you meet, share the cup and the bread. Jesus Christ said, do this as often as you meet in remembrance of me. But that is not the end. We are sent. 
not just from this place on Saturday night or Sunday morning or whenever we get together from worship, but daily we are sent into our world hand in hand to do the work of the church. To feed the hungry. To serve the poor. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To announce that the time has come when God would save His people. That is the work of Jesus Christ. That is the work of us. And so I encourage you, worship does matter. It's the most important thing we can do. Not because it makes us feel good, not because it's just another event, but because when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, the body of Christ, a diverse and wonderful body, we encounter God and we are transformed by it. And then we learn week after week after week, what should I be doing? I should gather. I should read the Bible. I should talk to other people about it. I should respond by praying, by offering, by giving, by affirming what I believe. I should gather around tables with friends, with family, with strangers, with sinners, with the sick, with the poor. And then I should go out and I should do something about this crazy world like Jesus Christ did when we understand how much worship can transform us, when we understand how much worship is integral to our congregation and our world, it shouldn't matter what it looks like. It shouldn't matter where it is. It shouldn't matter what we do. It should matter that we are doing it together and that Jesus Christ is here. Amen. We're going to respond... If you hadn't gotten it yet, we are going to respond to Jesus Christ's word and his teaching there from Luke and my interpretation of that teaching, which you may disagree with. That's okay. I love you anyway. With a special service of recommitment, you'll notice a couple new uh, items here. Uh, you can thank Chuck for illuminating the cross for us. Uh, it's very cool. Um, and you can thank the annual conference for um, <clears throat> having this uh, fountain at annual conference and then me saying, I want that. <clears throat> and you can, you can thank the Moors for letting me um, use their Sam's Club card and uh, Jennifer and I for buying this. I, I don't know that she knows that, but um, surprise. <clears throat> Uh, but this is, this is a wonderful... Symbols are important. I, I hope you understand we, we have symbols here. That's why things are on the stage here for these few weeks. The, the lectern, the, the place where we hear the Word of God, the table, the place where we gather around the table, we'll have communion later. The font, a symbol of water and, and fire, the Holy Spirit as Jesus remembered and reminded us to baptize in spirit and in truth all of those who would claim Him. The cross, the symbol of our salvation, candles light among darkness. Many, many powerful symbols. And we, we got a little iffy about symbols in the 16th century during this thing called the Reformation. Because the Orthodox and Catholic Church had a lot of symbols and some people thought they were worshiping those symbols. 
And then we decided no symbols for us, and, and we really hurt ourselves. And so you're going to go into a lot of churches that, who, whose tables don't even look like tables because they, they didn't want any symbols. But then they've got a lot of pretty things to look at on their table, so we'll leave that. So let's join together in a, a, a service of re, uh, remembering our baptisms. Baptism is a vital and important part of our life as Christians. It is the, it is the entrance ceremony to being part of the church. I, I will say, if you've not been baptized, then I encourage you to talk to me if this is something that, even if you don't remember or, or you're a little confused about it, you know, come talk to me because this is something that is important. Jesus Christ said, go baptize all people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's also a part of our, our faith to profess what we believe. And so if you've never done that, if you've never stood before the congregation and say, you know, we have words if you're you know, concerned about that. But if you've never stood before the congregation and essentially said, you know, we're going to go through it, but essentially said, I believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. Um, that's a good part of you know, our, our history. That's a good part of our life as the body of Christ to affirm, this is what I believe. I don't have all the answers, but I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that He can transform me. And that's what we're going to celebrate now. So I'm going to use the traditional Methodist, not the, the service Jesus came up with, but the traditional United Methodist service. And, and I think it's just important to hear these words. And you're going to be able to follow along on the screen here, although we're not going to get to the Thanksgiving quite yet. Um, so, so I'll help you here. Uh, as we just we come to reaffirm our baptism. As most of us have been baptized. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of Jesus Christ and given new life through water and the Spirit. Water, fire, Spirit. Why I like this. Through the reaffirmation, that's what we're going to do tonight, of our faith, we renew the covenant declared by our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. So I'm going to ask some questions. If you're Methodist, you were asked these questions when you proclaimed your faith. If you have never been asked these questions, well, maybe we should talk and we should have some baptisms. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? If so, answer, I do. Pretty easy. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? If so, answer, I do. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to all people of all ages, nations, and races? If so, Answer, I do. According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? If so, answer, I will. Just to make sure you were listening. Now let us join together as we thank, give thanks to God for this gift of water 
and the Holy Spirit. And thus, you can follow along with me. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water, and after the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Let us say together, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of God's mercy each day. Sometimes when we pray, you have to have your eyes open. In the fullness of time, you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in baptism of his death and resurrection, to make disciples of all nations. Say together, declare his works to the nations, his glory among all people. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon this gift of water and let this gift of water call us to our remembrance by the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives that in dying and rising with Christ we may share in his final victory. Say praises to you, eternal Father, through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. It's adorable. I'm going to invite you as you feel called led. And again, if you've not been baptized, please come talk to me about what that might look like. It would, it's going to look a lot like what we just did. It's nothing to be afraid of. But if you would like to remember your baptism uh, or, or just be blessed, you know, you don't have to be afraid to come forward uh, if you haven't been baptized, but just receive a blessing. I, I just invite you to come as you feel called to use this time. There's not music playing, but the fountain makes a nice noise. Uh, just use this time as a prayer time and a reflective time and, and feel forward. As you come forward, I, I'll, I'll just put some water on your head or if you want, you can put out your hand and I can put it on your uh, hand and just remind you um, of your baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, so come uh, forward as you feel called and led and use this time um, to reflect upon your new life in Jesus Christ.